Um, Bob, 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 Bob. Show started. We need you to do the intro. Um, where is everybody? Um, oh, I suppose I ought to do it then. Um. <clears throat> Come gather ye friends around your flickering campfires and listen to tales of daring, horror and high adventure from the worn pages of history. Set aside thine three-tier warning systems that aren't going to do anything and hearken ye well to the voices of your storytellers. Um... Uh, okay, still not here. Uh, for this is the Silly History Boys Show. Oh, still by myself. Um, uh, oh, hang on, there's a note. Dear Pear Bear. Unlike you, who gave up your dreams to build torture devices for a multinational corporation, the three of us real actors are all away doing real acting this week, so you'll have to do the show all by yourself. Sorry about that. If it makes you feel any better, we're all having a lovely time earning actual money. Enjoy doing the free show for free, loser. Kindest regards, Bilbo, Bob, Bob, and Tombo. Kiss, 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 kiss. Oh, that's, oh there's a P.S. P.S. Just read a ghost story or something. P.P.S. Loser. Yeah. Well, thanks, chaps. Uh, ghost story. Where am I going to get a ghost story from? I don't even believe in ghosts. In fact, I think it's a load of nonsense. Uh, oh, hang on, let me have a look through the Halloween half-term history jobs folder. Uh, ah, yes, this script will do the job. I think this is a Bilbo and Tombo one. Yes, the ghost story of St. Hilda of Whitby Abbey. Oh, this is, I'm sure, going to be very terrifying, ladies and gentlemen. Well, here we go then. Settle in and let the ghost story begin! Let me tell you about an interesting woman called Hilda. That's Saint Hilda to you dear listener, a woman of great energy and wisdom, so wise that those of elevated social status, that's kings and princesses to you, listener, would travel with a great hope to drink deep from her well of knowledge. Travel to a site in the north of England, a place called Whitby Abbey. Back in Hilda's time, it was called Strenshaw. Well, that's how I'm pronouncing it in our modern-day Anglo-Saxon. Steadily less, dear listener. Get off my back. But what do you want from me? We can either get on with it, or we can start an academic exercise on the ins and outs of Old English. You're not a professor of Old English, are you, listener? Oh, good. I mean, it's like, it's going to be a professor of English listening to this show. What's that? 
It's unimportant. Oh, yes, I agree. Get on with it. Yes, you're right. I agree with that, too. <clears throat> 657 AD was Hilda's time at Strenshire. <laughs> yes, you almost had me there, listener. At Whitby Abbey. For she was the founding abbess upon that ancient ground. No, not that Norman monstrosity you've seen in the English Heritage Guidebook. Though the sweeping arches standing proudly on the horizon do draw one in. Perhaps they also draw St. Hilda back. She can be seen at the abbey windows, gazing down upon her place of work and devotion. Twenty-three years is a long time to stay in one place. Twenty-three years whilst alive, anyway. I often wonder, for the purposes of this monologue, how long her ghostly corpse has wandered that site. Did Hilda witness the Danish raids of the late ninth century? Did she watch on as her place of worship was decimated, wandering the desolate grounds for the next two hundred years as the site lay barren and cold, until a sympathetic, conquering Norman would pour new life back into the abbey? Would this new life have lifted this spirit's, um, spirits? And would the crushing dissolution by a wholly unsympathetic and erratic king, prone to the classic indoor Tudor game Kiss, Marry, Murder, have made her haunting a true hell on earth? An uncomfortable position for a saint to find herself, no? Every history sandwich needs a filling. Norman bread, Tudor bread, and a filling of black monks. Benedictine monks to you, fair listener. At least she would have seen these black monks in this centre of learning, providing education in an era of limited educational resources for the ordinary folk. These black monks thrived in Whitby for centuries, before Henry VIII went all supreme leader on us. We can only hope that this Benedictine centre of learning gives Hilda some solace in her long stay between life and the great hereafter. For in life she was a teacher, a moulder of the ordinary folk. Ordinary folk like me and, of course, like you, dear ordinary listener. An example of this was the recognising and encouraging of a gift a gift bestowed to one of the monastery's herders. This young herder of beasts was inspired by a dream to sing verses in praise of God. Hilda nurtured and helped grow his poetic talent. This poet was the earliest English poet whose name is known. This poet was... Cadman. <laughs> no, no, me neither. But then, obviously, I have a notorious art critic. In her sixteenth year at Whitby Abbey, the long shadow of death would fall over Hilda's life. Hilda became ill, getting sicker and sicker with a mysterious fever. But Hilda was strong, and her boundless energy would not be diminished by a mere fever. She would continue to work and work hard. In the last year of her life, she set up another monastery in Hackness, about 16 miles south of Whitby, not far from Scarborough. Basically, you get on the A171, it's a straight shot to Hackness. What's that? Yes, of course. Unimportant. 
Anyway, go visit Hackness. It was there at Hackness that Hilda would draw her last breath. Last rites were performed, the Eucharist given, and it was said that at her death the bells of Hackness tolled. A young nun of Hackness, and now a saint, Saint Begu... 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 Uh, we'll call her B, claimed she saw the spirit of Hilda being born to the heavens by angels. If only B had gazed upon this sight a little longer, for it is obvious to me that Hilda did not cross that ethereal barrier between our world and the afterlife. She returns to Whitby Abbey night after night to wander through the ruins. Her concern for the ordinary folk is as strong as ever, like the time she turned a plague of snakes to stone for us, dear listener. Do you remember when that happened? You will see those stony snakes down on the Yorkshire coastline. Many will say that these are ammonite fossils, you know, the extinct sea mollusks. But we know better, folks, yes. Even those learned types who mistake these stoned snakes for the sort of squid-like snail things of the sea call the genus to which they belong Hildoceras, in honour of St. Hilda. So if by chance you find yourself in Whitby, annoyingly asking the silly history boys, Where's Dracula buried? I mean, read the book, am I right? If you find yourself in Whitby and see her ghostly visage, then why not honour her? The local birds dip their wings in honour when they fly over the abbey, so why not dip your head should you cross her path? So in closing, I believe Saint Hilda is here for our protection, for as the Venerable Bede said, all whom you heard called her mother because of her outstanding devotion and grace. I thought it was going to be spookier, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, I thought it was going to be spookier than that, but it wasn't, was it? It was uh, more of a story about a ghost rather than a ghost story. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? That's what we've got. Oh, I'm so sorry, ladies and gentlemen. My phone is ringing. Uh, oh, it's a voicemail. Hi, uh, you're right, Perver. It's um, it's dear Uncle Bob. Bob, um, listen, I've, I've arranged the guest speaker for um this week's Halloween special. Um, yeah, I mean, normally Uncle Bilbo works with him, and um, well, when I sort of tried to get hold of him to get him to do this, he he just hung the phone up. Um, I think he may have, I think he may have thrown his phone at the wall. So I don't know whether this guy, Fatty Spent, and Uncle Bilbo have uh, like some kind of difficult history together or whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I basically think all you have to do is just give him some sound effects for, for his story. Well, I wonder when Thaddeus is going to get here. Oh, hi Thaddeus!
Oh, hello. Would you like a drink before starting your story? Oh, yes. What would you like? Fancy. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it's still recording, so do you want to tell the listener who you are? And uh, then we'll get cracking with a ghost story, shall we? Good evening, ladies, gentlemen. My name is Thaddeus Bent, and I am an author, a storyteller, a book monger. I have written more than 417 true ghost stories about the United Kingdom. Oh, 418, I've just thought of another one now on my mind. It's about some chickens who get their own back on a farmer by building a plane and, 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 um, and flying it away. It's not chicken runners, it's different and very frightening. It's closer to it. These stories include the man duck of, of Bold Street and the evil goose of Skipton and Itch the Clown by Stephen King, which happens in Leamington Spa. But the tale I tell you tonight is better amongst the most terrifying that you shall ever have heard. It begins not far from wherever you are, on a humble moisture farm where lived a young boy named Luke. Uh, anyway, Uncle Luke was very lonely and by himself, and uh, he lived all alone with his Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. And he didn't have any friends because they'd gone and joined the academy, whatever that was. Anyway, one day, two metal men fell from the sky and, and landed in the, in the sand pit outside Luke's house. Anyway, for some reason, uh, Uncle Owen asked Luke to clean up the two metal men. Uh, and um, they were interesting. One of them was sort of little, like a little bin that beeped. And, and the other one was, was a sort of gold, passive-aggressive one. It was a bit of feet and things. Oh, true, that's what I said. Anyway, anyway, as Luke was cleaning the two metal men, all of a sudden, the ghost of a lovely lady with Danish pastries on the side of her head shot out, and she said, Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. That is. That's Star Wars. Oh, uh, was it? Yeah, it was a new hope, wasn't it? Oh, uh, well, do you think they noticed? Yes, I think they did. All uh, right, well, I better finish it then. The plot of the Death Star! The end! Right, okay, that was a pretty terrifying tale, wasn't it? Just Fadius Bent. Have you, have you got another one in, 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 your, in your big scary sleeve? I have, actually. This, this is his wizard sleeve. I borrowed his coat. Right, and this tale begins on a dark and stormy night. Sirens are singing like the fires of hell, and we're down in a valley tonight. There's a man in the shadows with a gun in his hand, and a blade shining oh so bright. There's evil in the air, there's thunder in the sky, there's a killer on the bloodshot streets. That is, that is. That's Meatloaf. Oh, was it? Yes, it's Bat Out of Hell. All oh, right. Do you think they noticed? Almost certainly. Oh, well, better finish it then. Oh, no, 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 never, never get out, no, 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 never do. Oh, something, 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 I'd rather be damned with you at the end. Applause. Right, 
I'm sure you'll agree that the two prior tales were absolutely terrifying. But now I bring you a historic epic. Deals with the devil, dark covenants, war, bloodshed and violins. It is the terrible tale of Captain Blackheart. Now, normally, Prayer Bear, I do this one with a cast of thousands, but Uncle Bilbo, um, after he got the restraining order, insisted that you be able to provide appropriate sound effects and vision. Is that all right? But I messed up the sound effects really badly the last time you asked me to do them, didn't I? Remember, it happened right at the beginning of the show. It was the first cue. Now, technically, Thaddeus, that was actually your fault because you didn't tell me about having to cancel the first track before moving on to the second track. I just pressed enter, thinking it would skip forward, not thinking that the intro music would continue playing even when you said just press enter to move the cue on. I didn't know I'd have to manually press stop on the intro music, did I? That's why it messed up. Right, well, Chuff, you've got to do it anyway. You're going to be Axel Foley artist today. Our story begins in the days of good King Charles. Right, do me a sound effect of a king. King Charles, there he was, waving at the crowds lazily because he was a royal. And our story also concerns one of the most notorious villains of the age. His name was Captain Blackheart. Captain Blackheart was a dangerous man, a powerful man, a tall man, as tall as a pike staff and as hard as the steel that tipped it. He was a fine soldier as well, a crack shot with a flintlock pistol and a master swordsman. There were many tales told of Captain Blackheart's skill in battle, but the strangest tale was told by the captain himself. As a young man, he had set out to London to seek his fortune, but he had never reached the capital. Instead, at a crossroads, he had met with the most evil person in the history of the universe, Mr. Tumble. Oh. Oh no, hang on, that's wrong. I meant the other one, the other most evil person. The Devil. At a crossroad, the captain met the Devil. The captain and old Saint Nick made a devilish covenant. They agreed that Captain Blackheart would live a life of wickedness, excess, and adventure, and that he would never be killed by a mortal man, but when his life was over, his soul would go to the keeping of the Dark One. With the deal agreed, the devil gave an evil laugh. <laughs> well, that's, that's not that evil, that's semi-evil. Quasi-evil. The devil gave a really evil laugh. <laughs> Better. And then vanished in a puff of smoke. That was pretty good. It was a good time to lead a charmed life, for it was the height of the English Civil War, and many a tale abounded of Captain Blackheart's prowess in battle. Obviously, as a captain and a noble gentleman, uh, Captain Blackheart fought for good King Charles and, 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 and his floppy cavaliers. Yes, and he was a very fine soldier. 
at the Battle of Edge Hill, it is said that Captain Blackheart charged alone into a line of Cromwell's musketeers. Now in the live version of the show, normally get a bunch of stupid children up to be the musketeers. I get them to kneel down as one rank, and then kneel squat over as the other rank, and then stand behind as the as the third rank, uh, which was actually how they did it until the American War of Independence meant that they couldn't get as many uh, redcoats over to North America, and so the trains it to two lines instead of three and that carried on for the whole of the Napoleonic Wars and the Duke of Wellington who invented boots. Did you learn something? Anyway, yes, Captain Blackheart charged the line of musketeers in slow motion. The musketeers fired at Oh, they haven't even loaded the muskets, the stupid musketeers. Right, load the musketeers. Normally in the live version, there's an absolutely hilarious extended musket drill. And Uncle Bilbo pretends to go to sleep. It's pretty, pretty funny. So, first, you take your cartridge. You f f push the bullet to the end. You bite the bullet out with your teeth. You spit it down the barrel. You then pour the gunpowder on top of the bullet. And then put the paper of the cartridge in. And then you ram it, ram it, ram it, ram it, ram it with the ramrod. Oh no, you idiot, you forgot a little pinch of powder for the priming. Don't worry, I didn't. Now, uh, yes, so, Captain Blackheart, yes, it's a lot to remember, isn't it, children? Could you imagine that um, you've got to fire that at least three times a minute, uh, because the other chap might be firing faster than you? Well, fortunately, the British practice with live ammunition, and so most British line infantry um, by the Napoleonic Wars could fire five shots a minute. Wow, Brexit. Right, Captain Blackheart charged the line of musketeers in slow motion. That officer gave the order to fire like this. Fire! And they fired. But even though it was point-blank range, none of the bullets harmed the captain, and Captain Blackheart drew his sword and laid into the line of musketeers with it, who died in the most loud and dramatic way possible. Ah! 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 Oh! My mortgage! I'm free from my mortgage! Ah! The steel is very cold and pointy! Oh, the horror! Oh, I was pressed into service by my landed gentry member! I have no axe to grind in the battle between King and Parliament because neither represent my words! It's amazing how little has changed. At the Battle of Marston Moor, Captain Blackheart stood before the lines of Cromwell's cannons, looked the gunners dead in the eye and straight down the barrel and took out his violin and began to play. Right, so it's violin music, pair bass, stupid idiots. I'm doing it! Yes, the cannon crew took aim. Uh, right, uh, now, um, uh, pair bear, I need um, about 193 cannons in this battery. And, uh, so that we've got to load them all. Uh, don't worry, I'll do the loading sound effects. Right, got to load 198 cannons in the single battery. Better get started. Load the cannons! Glutug! 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 Oh my god, this is gonna take this all day. Glutug! 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 I could have just done sound effects on that bit. Right! Cannons! Ready to fire! Glutug! 
And cannons fire! The cannons all fired, 193 of them. The first cannonball went to the captain's right, and he sidestepped, and it missed. The second cannonball went to the captain's left, and he sidestepped, and it missed. But the last cannonball was heading straight for him. But Captain Backhart leapt into the air, opened his legs, and nutmegged the round shot like he was John Barnes at the Marikanar in 1970. But the captain played on all that time. He played jigs and reels and all sort of mad experimental Vanessa May type stuff from the early 90s. And all the cannonballs missed. Yes, my friends, it seemed that Captain Blackheart did indeed bear a charmed life and could not be killed. But then... Grave misfortune befell the captain. I said grave misfortune. I need an R pair. Pair bear! I need an R for grave misfortune. Oh. Yes, grave misfortune befell the captain. For the English Civil War, it ended. And Captain Blackheart found that times of peace are less kind to men of action. Oh, he tried. He tried to make an honest living, playing his fiddle in country inns and little chefs, but he soon found that he could not keep himself in the manner that he was accustomed to. And so, Captain Blackheart turned to highway robbery on the Great North Road. I think there should be a gasp there. <gasps> a big gasp. <gasps> a bigger gasp. <laughs> no, that's too big. Bring it back. <gasps> Perfect. Many innocent folk had their pockets lightened by Captain Blackheart. Normally I get the audience to check their pockets and um, hopefully I find someone in leggings and they've got nothing to check. Hopefully I find a silly dad who just gets his Range Rover keys out and goes, rah, rah, I've got a Range Rover, even though I don't have enough land to drive it on. Several brave travellers tried to resist the captain. One family drew their pistols. What's a pistol? And pistols and fired. But incredibly, they all missed, and the captain ran them through with his rapier like they were a massive kebab. It seemed that the tales were true, that wicked Captain Blackheart could not be killed. Until we arrive at the twist in our tale. This is the twist. It was a dark and cold night at a castle just outside a town. That night, the old elderly gamekeeper was doing his rounds around the manor house. Right, Pear Bear, I need you to be an old elderly gamekeeper. So to do this, you'll have to do a bit of acting, which I know that you used to be able to do because you went to Bretton Hall and now you make instruments of torture for a multinational corporation. Uh, no, he doesn't work for MI6 children. Right, so you, you have to bend over like this. You have to be quite elderly, so you have to walk with a stick. You have to be quite farty as well. Very good. Excellent really got to get into this. As he continued, uh, the old elderly gamekeeper during his rounds around the house came to a high balcony at the eastern side of the house. That was where the Lord's lovely daughter slept. Right, Pear Bear, you'll, you'll have to be the lovely daughter and to be a lovely lady in the 1600s you have to sigh. Give us a sigh. <sighs> That's pretty good, yes. For a gentleman, you're very good at that. Ow, as the old elderly, old elderly gamekeeper came to the eastern window, he saw a sight that made him fart loudly in astonishment. 
It was Captain Blackheart playing his fiddle beneath the window of the lovely lady who sighed, however. <sighs> it seemed that the wicked captain and the lovely lady who sighed <sighs> were in love. The old elderly gamekeeper farted conspiratorially. And he took out his mobile phone and dialed the police. <clears throat> Dear the police and Sting, he texted. Captain Blackheart is here at the castle. Please send armed backup and the police at once. Lots of love. Two kisses because it's an official text. The old elderly gamekeeper. Press send. There we are. That night, a company of soldiers arrived at the house and concealed themselves in the ground. It was cold and the soldiers shivered. Give me some shivering. More. Come on, Bratton Hall, work for your cross of nothing. <laughs> the first night, Captain Blackheart did not come, and the soldiers shivered. <laughs> Good. The second night was even colder, and the soldiers shivered even more. <laughs> Excellent. the early stages of hypothermia. There. Till the third night. Riding his horse softly through the night came Captain Blackheart. Under the window of the east wing, the captain rode right into the trap that had been set there. The soldiers raised their weapons. Right, Perbert, I've got I've got a litany of sound effects for you to do now. One soldier's got a duck gun, uh, the other soldier's got a musket, one soldier has a blunderbuss, this soldier has a rocket-propelled grenade launcher, two soldiers got an MG-42 belt-fed machine gun, one soldier's got an experimental railgun developed in secret by the United States Navy that fires depleted uranium shells, um, one soldier's got a teeny-tiny Derringer pistol that you hide in your garter if you're a lady in the Wild West and you're playing cards, uh, one has a phaser from Star Trek, and uh, generally speaking, the most attractive mum in the audience gets a harpoon, uh, and the rest of you get bricks, the rest of the soldiers Soldiers all have bricks. Um, there's there's an equipment crisis uh, because the Civil War's finished. Okay, so Captain Blackheart rode under the window, and then the night exploded into gunfire. One, two, three, fire! Off went the muskets. Off went the duck gun. Off went the blunderbuss. Off went the rocket-propelled grenade launcher. Hope you're finding sound effects for all of these. I'M DOING IT! Off went the MG-42 belt-fed machine gun. Off went the experimental railgun developed in secret by the United States Navy that fires depleted uranium shells. Generally, if you give this to a man, they just go pew! And you make him do it again. Pew! And you make him do it again. Pew! Until someone laughs. Until, please, someone laughs. Damn! Off went the teeny tiny Derringer pistol that smelt faintly of pants. Off went the phaser from Star Trek. You can do that. You'll be good at that. And here come the bricks! But all of the soldiers missed. They were obviously trained by stormtroopers. But the captain's horse was so startled that it reared up and threw him to the ground. And the soldiers surrounded him. The old elderly gamekeeper farted in triumph. Wicked Captain Blackheart was sentenced to be hanged, but he made of the judge one final request as his right as a condemned man. What would you ask for, Pear Bear? Not to be executed. Oh, that's pretty trite. Oh, right then. Well, the captain didn't ask for that trite thing that Pear Bear asked for. Instead, 
he begged to play his fiddle one last time. And so, on the way to the giblet, the captain played a farewell concert, the like of which has never been seen before nor since. He played jigs and reels and waltzes. He played all sort of mad experimental Vanessa May stuff. He played some really strange electric violin stuff that you occasionally see on the street corners in sort of upmarket university towns. Uh, it, it was an incredible concert. It made Led Zeppelin and Everworth in 1978 seem like a downbeat episode of Songs of Praise. And all the crowd cheered. But even as they did so, the captain indicated his plan. He took out his violin and banged the, um, the man who was about to hang him on the head with it and laid out all the guards. And he also laid out the treacherous gamekeeper who had a seat in a box. The gamekeeper died farting gently as his soul left him. Then, Captain Blackheart gave the signal to the lovely lady who karate kicked the bucket out from underneath him and hanged him. This may seem like a sad ending, but if you tell it quickly enough, with enough energy, people tend not to notice. But you may remember it cheated the devil out of his soul. Yes, for you see, the captain's soul only went to the devil if he was killed by a mortal man. But seeing as he was killed by a lovely lady, who sighed. It meant that his keeping soul did not go to the keeping of the Dark One. And it is said that the ghost of Captain Blackheart still wanders the grounds of whichever castle town within. Hiver and yawn, it says, softly playing its fiddle, unable to rest for his desired access for heaven, for his wickedness, but yet he fears the devil's retribution. So there you are. Well, that was, uh, that was that. Thanks, Thaddeus. That was truly terrifying. Oh, you've gone without saying goodbye. Probably should have got you to record saying goodbye. That would have helped with this bit. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Tune in next week when we shall start the next of our trilogies. If you would like to see Silly History Boys in person, actually in the flesh doing the thing that we Silly History Boys like doing best, you can catch Uncle Bilbo and Tombo at Whitby Abbey. Get down there, check them out. They're doing stuff in the evenings, ghost stories and stuff. And you can find Uncle Bob Bob working with histories made at Bolsover or Belsay castle and gardens i can't remember which one but i know it begins with a b and it's definitely either bolsover in fact i'm certain it's bolsover let's say it's bolsover not belsay unless you're near belsay go and check it just see if bob bob's there you can't see a man looking you know suspicious 
Bob Bob's probably not there. But anyway, I'm rambling. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been, well, I have been the Silly History Boys, and I am, as ever, sorry. Boys, episode 16, or Hello, anyone home? Oween, was written and produced by the Silly History Boys. Sound effects from zapsplat.com and music by Scott Buckley. Thanks, Scott. Special thanks to Thaddeus Bent for appearing on the show this week. And if you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your chosen podcast platform. And also tell some people, please, my dad's getting grumpy about not being famous yet. He takes it out on me. As ever, thanks to those who arrived at booing. What are you doing? I'm doing the credits. Who said you could do the credits? Uncle Bob said I could do the credits. What have I told you about talking to Uncle Bob Bob? Uncle Bob Bob is a bad man and you don't talk to him. Right, that's it. No GameCube this week. What? No GameCube. My foot is down. No GameCube. I'll get you for this, Bob Bob.